Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. The show is brought to you in part by our friends over at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. I'm Kyle Hyman, here with our good bishop. We're going to talk about the Benedictus of Zechariah, or is it Canical of Zechariah, Bishop? It's the Canical of Zechariah, and its title is the Benedictus. Okay, great. Well, maybe before we get into dissecting this prayer, this piece of scripture, should we go ahead and start by praying it? Yes, and I've been praying this prayer every morning for over 44 years. And yeah. if the listeners are wondering, it's it's part of the morning prayer from the Liturgy of the Hours. So priests and seminarians and religious consecrated men and women pray this every morning, the Canticle of Zechariah. And might be something that if you don't pray morning prayer from a Liturgy of the Hours, this might be one prayer you'd like to say every morning, because then you'd be united with all of those hundreds of thousands who pray this every day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of his servant David. Through his holy prophets, he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. He promised to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. This was the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to set us free from the hands of our enemies, free to worship him without fear, holy and righteous in his sight all the days of our life. You, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I think everyone knows or may know that Zechariah was the husband of Elizabeth and the father of John the Baptist. So this is the hymn or the canticle that he said after the birth of John the Baptist. And I, I think when I hear this, I'm always thinking of it in the context of our Christian faith. How is it different, maybe, how we would interpret this versus how somebody at the time might interpret this, just basically only having the Old Testament? You don't have the the full salvation history. I think there's kind of a different angle to take, like a before and after. I think you're right. I mean, I think, well, first of all, Jewish people would have been very comfortable with this style of prayer because okay. his first words— blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, would be very common for the Jewish people. You notice we hear that in some of the Psalms, at the end of some mm -hmm. of the Psalms of the Old Testament, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. When we say blessed, it really means praise to the Lord. So this was kind of a typical Jewish prayer, Jewish blessing prayer. But I think the content of it, some of it would be familiar because the Jewish people were expecting the Messiah. They were, and there's many Old Testament references 
that Zechariah makes to Abraham and to David, and I'll explain that as we go through it. But there's also something new, I mean, because he's proclaiming that, you know, the time has arrived, the Messiah has come. So, and the one preparing the way is John. I think just by way of background also, he said this canticle on the eighth day after John's birth, which would be the day of his circumcision. As you may recall, Zechariah was a priest. He was an Old Testament priest. And just as the angel Gabriel announced to Mary in the Annunciation that she was chosen to be the mother of God, so that same angel Gabriel announced to Zechariah that he and Elizabeth would have a son. Of course, they were elderly, so that was something that Zechariah doubted, and therefore he was made mute. He couldn't speak during that whole time, those nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and it was only after John's birth that, that he began to speak again, as we heard he said this canticle, so his mouth was opened. But as a priest, when the angel Gabriel appeared to him, he was doing his priestly there was kind of a rotation where the priests would have do their um, prayers in the temple and offer incense, etc. So that's what he was doing when the angel appeared to him. So he was of a priestly family. He was of the lineage of Aaron, okay, the tribe of Levi, whereas Jesus was a descendant of David, so he was of the tribe of Judah. So we know that Zechariah was a righteous man. He was a devoted Jew. He was good, as was Elizabeth. And yet he doubted. And obviously, as I said, he was mute. But then he said this beautiful canticle. And immediately prior, okay, they had taken their, their newborn son, John, to be circumcised. They were following the Jewish law. And the relatives and neighbors rejoiced, okay, Elizabeth was elderly and, you know, that she had this baby. And uh, so they were there at the circumcision and they basically said to her or said to them that they were going to call the child Zechariah probably after the father. And that's when Elizabeth said, no, he will be called John. And that amazed everybody because no one in the, in the family had the name John. And then Zechariah asked for a tablet because he couldn't speak yet, and he wrote down John is his name because that's what the angel had told them. And as soon as he wrote that down, John is his name, that's when his mouth was opened and his tongue was freed, and he, and he said this canticle in praise of God. And, of course, everyone was, you know, kind of astounded and kind of a little bit afraid when all this was happening. They were thinking, well, what is this child going to be? You know, they knew something that the hand of the Lord was upon him. And then before he said the, the canticle, it, the Gospel of Luke tells us, by the way, this is all in, in Luke's Gospel, the first chapter. It says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, which is really interesting because it was basically inspired to say this canticle. But remember, it was also the Holy Spirit also filled Elizabeth and inspired her to say to Mary at the visitation, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then it was the Holy Spirit who caused the infant, John the Baptist, to leap in the womb 
of his mother. So now you have the Holy Spirit filling Zechariah, and he said this beautiful canticle. Well, and right after St. John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb, Mary gives her Magnificat, right? Is that right after or right before? Yes, it's after, correct. Yeah, it's after. So both of these end up being these long prayers that we have. Are, are they similar in some ways? They are. I mean, in the sense of they, they both recount things of the Old Testament. Now, Mary's Magnificat, we pray every evening, but it's also a canticle in praise of God that Mary proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And that's really what Zechariah is doing here. You know, he begins, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. So he's praising God. And then he's, as I said, that would be something that would be a common way that Jewish people would pray. And he speaks of him as the God of Israel, because one of the reasons for you know, for praising God is that he is, has chosen them as his people. Here we have praising God for what? And it says, I mean, Zechariah says, for he has visited and brought redemption to his people. Keep in mind, Jesus has already been conceived. Jesus is not yet born because John the Baptist was born first, but redemption has come to God's people because Jesus has been conceived in in the womb of Mary. Hmm. And it's interesting when you think about that, this first reason that he gives praise to God is because God has visited, okay, and brought redemption. God's visitation. It's the idea that he is present. God has come, he has visited to bring assistance and brought redemption. What do we mean by redemption? It means to be freed, to be ransomed from captivity or ransomed from slavery. Obviously, this is something that the Jewish people is really important to them because the great act of their history was when God redeemed his people at the Exodus. He freed them from slavery. And now we have, okay, they were released from bondage. And now it's saying, Zechariah is saying that God has visited and brought redemption to his people. We have a new Exodus taking place here. A new Exodus. Okay, God is bringing redemption. And of course, that's through Jesus. So really, the beginning of the canticle, actually the first half, is all talking about really the Messiah. It's talking about Jesus. The second half, he'll be praising God about John, his son. But now he's praising God for bringing redemption. So it's obviously referring to Jesus, the Redeemer. And then he says, by the way, the translation that I'm using here is is somewhat different from the prayer at the beginning because the prayer at the beginning that we say in morning prayer, that translation is a little loose. And the new translation that we have 
in the New American Bible, the revised New American Bible that we hear at the liturgy, is more literal. So when we have the newly revised Liturgy of the Hours, we're going to have a more literal translation. But it's a little more, how would I say, a little bit more difficult to explain because the older translation is kind of, I guess, easier to understand. But and, And the reason I'm bringing that up is, as you heard me say in the prayer at the beginning, I said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to his people and set them free. Notice the difference. This newer, more literal translation says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and brought redemption to his people. I mean, that's what it really says in the Hebrew. And the next line, especially in the newer, more literal translation, is quite different. Zechariah says, He has raised up a horn for our salvation within the house of David, his servant. He has raised up a horn for our salvation. Now, the old translation basically says he has raised up for us a mighty savior, born of the house of his servant, David. So notice the difference, but what does the Hebrew speak of? It speaks of a horn for our salvation. But because, so it takes more explanation. I mean, the meaning's the same. The meaning is clearly the same, but it's it's more literal and it's kind of more figurative. So when we have this second reason for Zechariah praising God, it's that he has raised up a horn for our salvation. Now, in the Bible, a horn, we're talking about like the horns of a bull or the horns of uh, an animal. Okay, like a a bull would have horns, and a bull is a very, very strong animal, okay? So, this is recalling, like, God's power, or a wild ox. For example, in the book of Numbers, in the book of Deuteronomy, they speak of the powerful horns of an ox. So, there's various places in the Old Testament that speak of a horn, like an ox or a bull's horn, as symbolizing God's power. In the first book of Samuel, in Hannah's canticle, it refers to the power of the Messiah. It says, may he give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So it's, it's, so anyhow, God's power. Now how it's translated in the old translation is God, he has raised up for us a mighty savior. Okay, so it's still the idea of of strength and power. It's easier to understand, but it's not that poetic idea of the horn of our salvation. Now, the horn here is within the house of David. It says, and this is quite important, he has raised up a horn for our salvation within the house of David his servant. So Zechariah is speaking about Jesus. He's not speaking about John. John the Baptist was not of the house of David. You know, he's from the priestly line of Aaron and Levi, like, like Zechariah. So Zechariah is prophetically announcing that Jesus will be God's powerful agent of salvation. We continue 
Through his holy prophets, he promised of old. God, speaking about God here. Through his holy prophets, he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies and from the hands of all who, who hate us. In the new translation, it says, as he promised through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Okay, so that's more literal. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Again, the, the prophets in the I mean, think about Nathan or especially Nathan, but also Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. They all spoke about someone who would come, who would be God's powerful agent of salvation, and that he would come from the house of David. But besides David, the fulfillment also involves Abraham. Okay, we continue reading. He promised to show mercy to our fathers and to be mindful of his holy covenant and of the oath he swore to Abraham our father and to grant us that rescued from the hand of enemies without fear we might worship him in holy holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So, as I said, besides David, the fulfillment also involves Abraham and the prophets through his holy prophets and our fathers. He promised to show mercy to our fathers. Who does he, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to be mindful of the covenant, to show mercy and to be mindful of the covenant. So what do we mean by mercy? Well, the the Hebrew mercy has said it means faithful, loving kindness. So it's out of his mercy, his faithful, loving mercy, and remembering his covenant. Okay, the covenant began with Abraham. And then the oath, okay, that God made an oath. He made this, this promise. He swore to our father, Abraham, to grant us that rescued from the hands of enemies, we might worship him in holiness and righteousness. So there was this promise of redemption, of being rescued. And so God made this oath. Basically, when you think about the covenant, it was an oath. And that was not only to Abraham, but to his descendants. It was the idea, you know, to all his, that Abraham would have these numerous descendants, and all the nations. Interestingly, I was talking about how, you know, the son was called John. The angel said that the child is to be called John. Well, what does John mean? Why is that name important? It means merciful and gracious. It means, well, actually, it means God is merciful and gracious. So very interesting because here, that's what he's talking about, that in his mercy— in his loving kindness, God has done this, has rescued us. And the purpose of being rescued from the hand of enemies is to worship. Just think, in the Exodus, they were rescued from the Egyptians so that they could go forth to worship God and serve him 
Remember at the Exodus, God said, let my people go to serve me, to serve me to, and to worship me. And in so doing, God's deliverance will be transformative. It will lead to holiness and, and to righteousness in his sight. That's why he said, this was the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to set us free from the hands of our enemies. Okay? Without fear, so that without fear we might worship him in holiness and righteousness all our days. So that's the first half of the hymn. It's all about the Messiah, the Savior, okay? God's mercy, extending the covenant, the fulfillment of the covenant that he had made, this new exodus, this salvation, the redemption, this being rescued from our enemies. Someone said, well, who are our enemies? That's a good question, because when I pray this in the morning, and I think about, and you know, so many ideas come to me, but when I pray that, that he promised salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, I don't just speak of like people who might be enemies or people who might hate the church or hate me. I also think of the devil and evil spirits, you know, and this promise of God that basically he will rescue us from the hand of enemies. Which I, things might be different, New Testament versus Old Testament, as far as how things are going as for slavery and things like that. But if we look at Christian persecution, somebody might look at that and say, like, uh, we weren't really set free from the hand of our enemies. We, we still, uh, people are still worshiping in fear, you know, in post Christ. Or is it, is it different? Is there a freedom that uh, that comes after Jesus that maybe isn't as obvious? Well, our Lord has brought us freedom, okay? And, you know, we're not yet in, in heaven, you know? So, so even though mm. the kingdom has begun, it's not yet fulfilled. That'll only be with the glorious second coming of Christ. So our gotcha. hope yeah. is in that. But in the meantime, while we still are in need of being rescued, we know that Christ has brought that to us, that he has brought us salvation. And that's what enables us, for example, to not get discouraged or lose hope that we can just trust in him, that he's with us in the midst of suffering and persecution. I would think that, I mean, just think of the Ukrainians, and they're praying this, mm -hmm. especially those who pray the Benedictus every morning. And how it's kind of praying, I, I would think in praying this, you know, it's praying, and to grant us that rescued from the hand of enemies without fear, we might worship him in holiness and righteousness. So it'd be being prayed to be delivered from the enemy, asking God to grant us that, but understanding that in the midst of the battle, the Lord is with us with his grace and his strength. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a pause there and we'll continue to talk about the Benedictus or the Canticle of Zechariah, including the second half of it, which is referring to St. John the Baptist and what it means for us today. Coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. 
With Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, our online banking and mobile app are like having a branch at your fingertips. Insured by NCUA and with everything you need to use and manage your accounts 24-7. Hi, I'm Tom Obergfell of Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, inviting you to enjoy better banking where and when you want. Features include bill pay, money transfer, budgeting, early payday program, and much more. Check us out today at NotreDameFCU.com to learn more. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop talking about the Benedictus of Zechariah, which I used to always think it was Zachariah with an A, but it's with an E. In the old Latin translation, the Bible, the Douay Rheims version of the Bible, translated into English, it was called Zachary. So I remember huh. as a kid, before we had, you know, the New American Bible or the Revised Standard Version, Zachary was, you know, so I remember being taught that the name of John's father was Zachary, but really Zechariah yes. is, is closer to the Hebrew. So you talked about the first half is referring to Jesus, and the second half is Zechariah talking about his son, St. John the Baptist. Yeah, and the second half, and by the way, this is the second half begins with verse 76. So this is the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke is really long. I think it's 80 yeah. verses. So in verse 76, he kind of switches now and says, Zechariah says, and you child, so now he's talking about John, and you yeah. child will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. So here he is praising God again. He's He's turning to his child, and he's kind of using some of the phrases that Gabriel used when he announced to Zechariah that he and Elizabeth would have a son. So basically anticipating John's mission. In the Annunciation, the other Annunciation, the Annunciation of, to Mary, they, they speak of Jesus as the Son of the Most High. So here, and then when he Gabriel spoke to Zechariah, he spoke of him as the prophet of the Most High. And that's what we have here. John will be called prophet of the Most High. So he's not the Messiah. He's not the Redeemer. He's the prophet of the Redeemer. And Zechariah says, he will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. How? Through his proclamation of forgiveness. He says, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. That was John's message. He preached repentance, and he was the Baptist, so he baptized people as a sign of their repentance, that they will have their sins washed away because of their repentance. And in the Old Testament, the prophets spoke about this, about preparing the way of the Lord. You can read about this in Isaiah, can read about prophet Malachi. So the prophets spoke about this, this great rescue that was going to take place and that there was this precursor who would prepare the way. 
And notice he says to go before the Lord to prepare his ways. The Lord. So here he's speaking of this Messiah as the Lord. And the Lord is a divine title. And then he, he continues, because of the tender mercy of our God. That word of tender mercy, like this profound compassion, this heartfelt love, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the daybreak from on high will visit us to shine on those who sit in darkness and death's shadow to guide our feet into the path of peace. The Greek word translated daybreak literally means rising, okay? The daybreak, the rising of the sun. But in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is the Septuagint, it was also a word used to mean the branch, a branch. So there are prophecies that describe the Messiah as a branch that springs up. Of course, remember the famous, you know, I will raise up a righteous branch for David. We read that in Jeremiah and in Zechariah. So there are these, these prophecies of the Messiah that a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse, this branch. Right. Also in Malachi about the the rising of the son of justice. So this coming Messiah will shine on those who sit in darkness and death's shadow. What does it mean to sit in darkness? It's to be in sin and death's shadow. We can think of Isaiah's famous prophecy in, uh, we hear at Christmas Eve, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, O you people who walk in darkness and the shadow of death, light will shine on you. The final sentence, to guide our feet into the path of peace. So this daybreak from on high, the Messiah, the Redeemer, guide our feet into the way of peace. He'll bring peace. And again, Isaiah foretold this. He said the child to be born would be called the Prince of Peace. Okay? So this is the conclusion. And I, I kind of love this conclusion because here you have Zechariah, a Jewish priest, and kind of it's kind of like a blessing to shine on those who, who sit in darkness, to guide our feet into the way of peace, kind of like the blessing of the priest Aaron, that famous blessing that we hear as the gospel on New Year's Day, where when he was in the temple, because he was struck mute, he wasn't able to give the priestly blessing. He couldn't speak after Gabriel appeared to him. Now he does. And it's very similar blessing to what it's the blessing of Aaron. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you kindly and give you peace. So there's kind of this similarity at the end of the Benedictus to Aaron's blessing, because 
uses words like shine and peace. And the peace we're talking about in Hebrew is shalom. So peace is not just the absence of war or the absence of conflict. We're talking about harmony with God. It's about being whole, wholeness, harmony, fullness. That's what the Redeemer brings, makes us whole, brings us into harmony and and peace with God, reconciles us with God and with one another. So that's that's basically the end. It, it will go on in verse 80 to say that John the Baptist grew and he became strong in spirit. And then, of course, he went out into the desert. And we know the rest of the story. <laughs> so of all of the things that they could have chosen, you know, quotes from saints and prayers and scripture, why do you think the church has selected this Benedictus of Zechariah as the the thing that all priests, religious, and any who laity that participate in the Liturgy of the Hours would pray every single morning of their lives? Well, for one thing, it's the inspired Word of God. Okay, it's right from the Bible, beginning of the New Testament, and it's a hymn, it's a canticle, so in the morning, we're basically, and oftentimes, not when we're doing it individually, I guess some people could sing it or chant it, but I don't. But if we pray this in community, we'll often sing it because it's, kind, it's a hymn, it's a canticle. But it, it really calls to mind the central event of our salvation, that God who ha, you know, has come to visit and redeem his people. And this is something that we should be aware of every day that all the promises that God made through the prophets have been fulfilled, that in God's merciful love, in his kindness, he has fulfilled his promises. And, you know, now we have a new exodus. We have a new kingdom. We have a new covenant. And we have the new creation. And then I love the part where he talks about the role of John. Because especially as a priest, I see our role as kind of being like John the Baptist, to go before the Lord to prepare his way. I mean, in, in our ministry, you know, he says to give his people knowledge of salvation. Well, that's, right. that's kind of what we're supposed to be doing through the forgiveness of their sins. You know, and I hear confessions, in part absolution. So I can relate all of this to priestly ministry. And we give a blessings. We give blessings. I give blessings every day. And that's a blessing that we see at the end of the canticle of Zechariah. So again, people can find this at Luke chapter 1, and as well as in morning prayer, if, if people want to pray morning prayer, Liturgy of the Hours. And I like your suggestion too, if you don't want to pray the whole Liturgy of the Hours morning prayer, to maybe start with this canticle you know, every morning as a, as a prayer. You, you mentioned the old translation and the new translation of the Liturgy of the Hours. Any indication on when that might happen, that translation? For the last five years or so, practically at every meeting of the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, we continue to review parts of it and give our approval of the new translation. It, this is very long and tedious, a lot of scholars working on it. But then the bishops themselves, we need to approve the translations. And so 
since the Liturgy of the Hours in its four volumes, it is a lot. I mean, we're talking about a few thousand pages of scripture yeah. and, and, and hymns and prayers. So I would say we're probably have another year or so, I would guess, because we've been doing a lot. It also needs the approval of Rome. Uh, once uh, it is finished, I, I would think they're already, you know, looking at the parts that we've approved. So I don't know that it'll take a long time, but then need to be printed and published. And uh, I, I can't wait. You know, the hymns, yeah. for example, are so much better than what are in the present uh, breviary. Breviary is, by the way, is another word for the Liturgy of the Hours. The book is called the breviary, or it's four uh, volumes, so it's four books. Maybe they'll have less books and have them thicker. I don't know. Maybe I think they'll probably still do four volumes. I'm not sure. There's also, you know, the intercessions that are part of morning and evening prayer. There's all the different feasts and memorials of saints and all of that. So it's it's a mammoth undertaking. Well, and then it's going to mess up all of you that have memorized the old translation. Uh, I know, I know. I'm going to have to use cards. <laughs> Because it's yeah. going to be hard to, I mean, like I said, I've been praying the Benedictus and the Magnificat for over 40, 44 years because it was 44 years ago that I entered the seminary. And I was, I think I was praying liturgy hours, not every day, but at least occasionally, even before I went to the seminary. So it's going to, yeah, it'll be interesting. On Sunday, I accidentally said, Lord, I am not worthy to, and then caught myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't have, done that, made that mistake in years. Well, on Sunday, I had a. I always want the server to bring the like the missile over for the creed, because uh, of course I'm saying the creed and I have the microphone, and I don't <laughs> trust that I have the new translation memorized, yeah. and I don't want to like throw everybody off. And they're like saying, "Well, does the bishop not have the creed memorized?" <laughs> it's just that I'll slip back into the old translation. Right, keeps us on our toes. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you for this. I think maybe we do another episode at some point talking about Liturgy of the Hours in more depth for people that want to kind of learn more about that. But thank you for breaking down this canticle and uh, encourage people to check it out and pray with it, especially, you know, in Advent time, and but, but anytime, really. So thank you, Bishop. Before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. Why don't I finish with today with the blessing of Aaron? Since okay, it kind of goes with our... Uh, the Benedictus, in a way. Do um, I have special responses for that? Amen. Okay. After each. <laughs> let, let me write that down. <laughs> okay. First of all, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. Amen. The Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Amen. The Lord look upon you kindly and give you peace. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome. Take care, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.